Welcome to Culture Factor. I'm your host, Holly Shannon. Our new season looks at creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Why? Because the gig economy is emerging. Talent has gone to work for themselves. Whether furloughed or part of the great resignation, they've birthed the big idea, and those 57 million Americans are contributing more than $1 trillion to the U.S. economy annually. This is what the new normal looks like. You now have a front row seat to creator culture and into the places where the magic is being made. Subscribe now to Culture Factor so your ears are treated to some of the best stories around the world. And if you take the time to rate, review, and share this, please send me the screenshot and I'll give you a shout out on my show. Please reach out if you'd like to sponsor Culture Factor. It is your opportunity to be a part of a show that is ranked in the top 2% globally and heard in over 77 countries. Email holly at hollyshannon.com to be a part of this global audience. Hello, Culture Factor family. I have Rob Greenlee today, and he is the current VP of podcast content and partnerships at Liberated Syndication, also known as Libsyn. They are a public company going under LSYN. He is a well-known public speaker, evangelist, technologist, and trainer for podcasting globally. He is also the current founding board of Governor's Member and former founding chairperson of the Podcast Academy, known as the Mm -hmm. Ambies Awards. Mm-hmm. He is the spoke he is the host of Spoken Life podcast and co-host of newmedia.newmediashow.com and advisor to Podcast Easy. In 2017, he was inducted into the Academy of Podcasters Hall of Fame, which is really huge. Uh, he is also the former VP at Vox Next Spreaker, EVP and CTO at Podcast One and Podcast Content and Business Manager at Microsoft Zoom, Xbox, and Windows Phone. It's a miracle I've gotten this far in the introduction because there's so (laughs) many acronyms here because he has such a great background and I did want to share it all. Um, I do want to also point out that... um, in 1999, he started on a local radio as a host of Web Talk World's radio show and expanded into national syndication plus XM satellite radio and then was part of the founding group that started podcasting in September 15th of 2004. So that is a lot of really cool info <laughs> about Rob Greenlee. Um, I will give you a piece of trivia about him when he gets on here. So hello, Rob. Welcome to Culture Hi. Factor. It's great to be here, Holly. Thanks for the the invite, and I'm excited to join you on your podcast. So, so it'll be it'll be a fun conversation. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on board. Sorry, I botched your intro just a little <laughs> bit, but hey, you know it is podcasting, and I'm human. So, right. um, what I really wanted to share with people is. You also are the Guinness Book of World Record Holder for building the world's largest glass of orange juice for the state of Florida. And so I feel like I should really have introduced you with that piece. Tell me about that. (laughs) Well, it was back um, in the early days of the dot-com boom that happened. Um, I was doing uh, grocery marketing back in those days. I was involved in the the restaurant industry I owned a restaurant for five years. And then I went to go to work for my uh, ham supplier back then. Cause I sold spiral sliced 
honey glazed hams back in the late eighties into the nineties. And then I got involved in the food industry and I, I have a marketing degree as my background. So sales and marketing is really my, my training, my background for most of my work career. So it, it moved me into the food business and I, I left the meat business to go to work for the Florida department of citrus. This was, this was, boy, I'm trying to remember what year that was. I, I think it was like two, uh, 94, 95 timeframe. Um, and, and I, I started doing, um, citrus marketing for fresh citrus and orange juice, grapefruit juice, and was a uh, state of Florida employee for five years. So up in the, the Northwest, so I was based in the Seattle market and, but I worked for the, a fellow that was an executive director of the Florida department of citrus who reported to the governor of Florida. So, so I was a state of Florida employee for five years up in, up in Seattle. That is so, so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was working marketing, um, basically, a, you know, kind of an integrated marketing uh, approach where I worked with a lot of the Florida citrus brands like Tropicana, Minute Maid, um, uh, you know, well, and, and the fresh citrus brands as well to do marketing campaigns with grocery store chains. So I built this glass as part of a promotion with the March of Dimes to, to drink uh, more orange juice to, to fight cancer back in those days. Um, and so that I just built this gigantic glass of orange juice and traveled around the country, setting it up at food marketing conferences and at festivals and filled it full of orange juice in, in partnership with Tropicana. Um, so I did that for about a year or so. Uh, it cost about $26,000 to build this glass. It had, it was all stainless steel on the inside. It kept the orange juice at about was it about 34 degrees um, and circulating inside of it? And I dispensed it out of beer taps, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> at, well, yes. then it, it was probably yeah. perfectly set up for a mimosa at that point, if it was coming out right. of a beer tap. Oh, so yeah. I, I hope there was yeah. a little bit of a champagne that went with that. <laughs> well, it was a lot of jokes too. I had a lot of, a lot of promotions done uh, by radio DJs that would come down to these festivals and they would, they would, they would pretend like they, they were going to, jump into the to the glass and go snorkeling or and stuff like that and or they'd bring down a big cinnamon roll or something like that and they would play a you know a a skit on television so if, actually if you go to google and do a search for world's largest glass of florida orange juice you, you can find a video up there and it it has a a, a guy that uh, was play, kind of playing a joke like that on it so so anyway I that's it. i love that's, it that, that's a little backstory. And then I also, the, um, the, the, the education system in Florida did a math problem in their math books for all of the students in Florida. Uh, I believe it was in middle school, um, calculating how many oranges it took to fill up the world's largest glass of orange juice. So, so it had all, all sorts of, you know, kind of publicity and things that went on around it. But, uh, yeah, I shipped the glass back to Florida um, just after or just before I left the Florida Citrus Commission back then, and and so it it got tucked away in some warehouse somewhere, and <laughs> has 
never seen the light of day since. That's so, all right. But you time. know, it was a little p. What's so interesting about that is it was uh, a lot of experiential marketing going on there. And uh, yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize as they create experiences and activations and pop-ups and so forth that um, this has been something that's been going on for decades in the marketing mm -hmm. world. And, uh, of course it is, has gotten more electronic in nature, but, uh, yep. experiential marketing is still alive and well. All and, right. uh, the other thing that it makes me think about is the piece where you talked about how you were in, um, you know, this is really an, an, a good example of the gig economy and remote work from home. Mm -hmm. You were doing it before it became what the world oh, yeah. switched to. So you, you kind of had it yeah. down early on, which is kind of cool. Well, I've actually spent probably half of my entire work career being home-based. Uh, and then I owned a, a restaurant for five years too. And so I, I, I did that in like a strip mall. And then I also have worked for companies like Microsoft. Um, yeah, I've worked for some of the largest food companies in the world too. Um, so it's, it's having that experience of having my own business, um, doing online marketing stuff, uh, was very early in the, um, the, the kind of dot-com era. And I worked for, I've worked for like three or four different, uh, technology startups. I mean, over the years, in a variety of different um, sides of the te technology sphere. Actually, I worked for uh, a free online connectivity company. Uh, it's called freeinternet.com back in the early days, which we were giving away free online access through dial-up connections back in the early days. So I was involved in that. And that was very much um, aligned with the, the radio show I was doing back in those days as well that I started in 1999 about the growth and development of the World Wide Web and the internet uh, and the, the technology innovations that were going on at that time. And it was very interesting because it was a time of uh, pretty significant cultural uh, misunderstanding and change that was going on. Um, now, today, we, we just kind of take it for granted, you know, the, the access to the internet and access to um, all this technology that, that we have today. Uh, back in those days, it was a new thing and it was causing a lot of people to be confused about what was going on with it. And it, it caused a certain amount of mystique. And, and it was very interesting, that whole thing. And that, that the whole purpose of the radio show I was doing was helping people kind of understand what was going on culturally and technologically with what was happening with the growth and development of the internet and how we were all, you know, becoming more virtual. And there was movies being made back in that time. You know, that was back in the days of the, the matrix and, and that's going to be coming back in, uh, you know, another movie here soon. But uh, it was all part of that mystique of the growth and development of the internet. And I built the first Florida Citrus website too back then, and and was doing a lot of promotions with retail grocery chains. Um, I gave away sailboats off of the, the the website back in the late '90s, um, things like that. So I was doing sweepstakes online. I was combining it with billboard campaigns in the Seattle market, um, radio, television all that stuff and in-store sampling and then driving people to the website to sign up for a sweepstakes. So, so there was a lot of stuff that I was doing in the early days and that's what got me into podcasting was, was the whole online media. And I, I started to really see how content marketing was such an important piece because I, I was early in building a website and how I was 
providing content off this website, like recipes and, and more and more kind of the online media part, you know, the, the, the audio and the video was being transmitted over the, over the internet. Back in those days, it was really challenging because there wasn't a lot of bandwidth, um, but it was still growing and developing. So it was really an opportunity back in those days to, to, to really expand into um, an area of marketing that was just fascinating to me back then. Yeah, it sounds to me like throughout your career, you have been at the start of mm -hmm. a lot of uh, trends and changes and, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, you know, with the dot com, with some of the experiential marketing that you've done, with building websites, with your work with tech startups. You have mm -hmm. been on the precipice of something that just started that we've yeah. never experienced before right. throughout your career, which is a really great place to be. You don't want to be on the other side of it where you're yeah. just a user and hopefully trying to make a little money off of it. It sounds like yeah. you really were at the start of all of these great mm -hmm. changes and trends mm -hmm. in business. Mm -hmm. uh, Congratulations. That's really uh, a, a great place to be. I think your next thing is going to probably be AI because that's sort of the next thing coming. So well, it's I'll, an interesting I'll, question, right? You know, I think yeah. that uh, AI is a, is a change factor that I've been keeping a very close eye on. Of course. On. Right. And, and there's other things <laughs> too that are, that are coming too, like autonomy and, and, I just think some of the technology things that I'm I, I'm seeing now, you know, um, are probably more substantial in their potential cultural impact than even what I saw in the early days of the internet and the web, which I I really in some ways I underestimated the even the impact of that back in those days. Um, you know, if I think about how how ubiquitous the the the, the web and the internet is today in everyone's life. And how profound it's impacted the the world in in ways that I I couldn't even imagine back then. I mean, I was talking about just wireless access and and how how just the fundamental things about how how the the internet and the web were going to make the world better. Um, I didn't really factor into my content that I was making about how the internet and the web may actually potentially make things worse. Um, I, you know, it just didn't enter because I was trying to be positive about it. I was trying to help people. Um, but there are some aspects of technology and that's kind of where this topic dovetails really, really well into kind of the, the technology evolutions that are going to be maybe, um, maybe negative um, to large swaths of the population. And I think autonomy and AI has the danger of doing that. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think uh, we've already seen a lot of uh, bias um, inherently built into a lot of the technology. So mm -hmm. the um, the way it's measuring things is already off kilter. So it's uh, mm -hmm. it'll be interesting. Um, I do want to tap back into where you um, where you are now, which is the mm -hmm. podcasting industry, um, mm -hmm. and you and you play a very interesting role in it because of where you are with Libsyn. Uh, mm -hmm. Perhaps it might make sense to describe a little bit more about what Libsyn does, and because you're you not only work under 
what is called a podcast host in the industry, but you also have a podcast. So you're a user and and you're in that same ecosystem of podcasters like myself. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how that works for you to be on both sides of the fence. Well, I've always been on both sides. Um, I I started out in this space as a content creator uh, with my radio show and then started uh, podcasting that radio show back in 2004. Um, so I, I was living in this hybrid world between radio and, and the on-demand side that was growing around streaming and then later downloading, which is what, what happened with podcasting, which back in those days, back in 2004, was a very small part of what I was doing. Um, you know, the whole download part was just um, picking up steam back in those days and was pretty, pretty small because most of my audience was coming from the streaming side because most people were connecting through dial-up connections. They didn't have high-speed internet connections like we have today. So it, it definitely has, some, has been something that's evolved over, o- over the years. And, and being in the podcasting space has is, is really been really good for me because it, it has really tapped into the interests that I have and what I saw as a long-term opportunity um, and building a career. I'm, I mean, I'm probably one of the few people in the world that have been able to build a um, 17, 18 year work career in the podcasting industry. So, and be, be steadily employed uh, for platforms and helping other content creators, whether it be the biggest media companies in the world down to individual folks with a, a laptop and a microphone to create programs and to also help build this industry uh, with with a lot of these big media companies too, and the the you know like a Spotify or a Google or or a Microsoft or those kind of folks helping them get into the industry too. So really, kind of building the fabric of the industry uh, from all levels uh, has been an exciting opportunity for, for me, and I feel fortunate to have been able to have that have a role like that. It's interesting, um, you know, we all have seen some of the changes. I mean, you don't have to be in podcasting to hear about Mm -hmm. uh, some of the shifts in how uh, Apple and Spotify are now operating within Mm -hmm. this industry. Uh, What have you learned from that? Um, How they're sort of behaving differently about, (laughs) I see a little grin coming on your face. Well, well, you know, when you're around this medium, as long as I've been, because I was around it, um, even really kind of before it started. And, and I knew, and I know how media companies and technology companies behaved prior to podcasting, right. With, with content. And I saw it firsthand with, with, with Microsoft, cause I was trying to work with them to get them to support podcasting back in, in the early days. And then I wound up taking a full-time job working for them to help them build their podcasting platform that they started. It was called Zoom. And I started working on that project back in 2008, 2007, 2008 timeframe. Um, and, and it was just one, one of those things that, um, you know, larger companies look at things like this differently than individuals and um, smaller entities or startups. They, and I think that's one of the things that's happening today is that we're seeing a lot of big money come into the podcasting space, which hasn't really been here before. So it really kind of all started like in the 2014 timeframe 
uh, when large investment started to flow into the industry and it started to change the, the culture of the, of the space. And it started to create kind of a separation between the indies and the bigger, bigger company podcasts um, and which continues today. And it's, and it's something that uh, I've worked really hard over the years to try and bridge the, this growing divide between and then you have to throw in public radio into this too. And then more recently, commercial radio has gotten into podcasting more and more too. So you create these, you know, there's these different groups that are involved in creating content and they all bring their legacy uh, philosophies around working with content and content creators, uh, which um, can be a little contrary to the roots and the beginnings and the origin of the culture around podcasting because podcasting has a very distinct culture that is a little contrary to big media culture. <laughs> mm. And it, it creates a little bit of a conflict um, around and uh, around lots of areas around monetization, distribution, control of content. Uh, and what we're seeing now is kind of like some of those older principles starting to be applied to podcasting where there's exclusives now People are signing big dollar licensing opportunities with like Spotify and some of these big platforms, like we all hear, like, like a Joe Rogan, that's that kind of a Joe Rogan deal is a little bit more like what you would have hear about um, content deals done back in the nineties, right? Which is kind of, kind of like a studio licensing deal, that kind of thing where podcasting is really built on open distribution available everywhere. Um, building audience based on availability and openness. Uh, what we're seeing pressure now is kind of more closed in paywall access to, to content, which can be a little contrary to the, the roots and the, the values of podcasting. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I feel like it usually works in the reverse that, you know, <laughs> the big media companies create something and then the creators and the indies and all the other people find a way to democratize uh, the usage mm -hmm. of something. In this case, you mm -hmm. think it would go the, that direction if it made well, sense, but it's now more difficult to feel yeah. um, as though you have any control over mm -hmm. your audience, your content, any kind yep. of monetization, uh, yep. because they're taking over in a certain extent. A am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a it's about gaining control of audience uh, is what, what what it comes down to, and that's one of the things about podcasting when it very when the very early days of the medium is that podcasting really was inspired and created. Uh, was created out of two paradigms in the early days of digital media, which is uh, the actual uh, repulsion from commercial over commercialization of radio. That was one pressure point pushing towards podcasting. The other pressure point was uh, gatekeepers uh, limiting um, access and the opportunity to create different types of content. They, they typically only wanted to work with a select um, selection of content that they saw that their media brand wanted to create. And that limited access. 
And then it also was created out of the, the revolutionary principles that came out of the, uh, the music file sharing explosion that happened around Napster. So you had that, those kind of cultural change and technology change aspects that um, came into play with podcasting. Uh, and that, that's what gave the, 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 the energy because back in the early days, I mean, I was selling advertising on my, on my radio show back when I was doing it over, over those many years and my radio show became a podcast was a little bit counterculture because I had ads in it because most of the podcasts in the early days, and this was back in 2004, 2005, um, it wasn't cool to have ads in your podcast because that was part of the the culture and the revolution that was going on around digital media back then. It was like sticking it to the man and commercialism isn't what we're all about. We're about revolutionizing and leveling the playing field and giving everyone access to, um, to have us have a voice. Right. Um, so, so that's the culture and it's interesting how the podcasting medium has evolved into coming back to those principles because more and more people want to, uh, quit their day jobs, which has always been the, the case with podcasting. People want to quit their day jobs and work full time in podcasting. But now it's a whole other level. You know, Joe Rogan gets a hundred million dollar licensing deal. Big investors are coming into podcasting. Um, and so there's this heightened expectation that podcasting should be all about making money now. Um, and, and that creates a dynamic in the industry that that puts a lot of pressure on people to have much higher expectations. Um, but it also, you know, you could take the position that it's also inspired a lot of, um, a lot of content, uh, you know, changes and, and opportunities to be exposed around like fictional content and storytelling podcasts that are highly produced and quality content. And you're starting to see that start to proliferate around premium subscription-based content which is pushing it into this model, like I was talking about earlier, around um, having, having more um, um, exclusive content available on listening platforms. So you can see this evolution that's happened around quality, production, expense, expectations of revenue has pushed the industry in a direction of, of commercialization. And that is good and bad, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, well, and and I should probably, you know, just bring up uh, to the listeners, and I'm sure they already know this, but this is actually a bigger contextual conversation. It's not just podcasting. Mm -hmm. This is the use of your art, whether it be right. music or uh, photography, uh, you know, whatever it is you do. Yeah. But if you're using Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, it's really, uh, it's a conversation about content as a whole. It's not just podcasting, um, losing maybe some of that democratization to some of these big media companies. You know, the same goes for mm -hmm. the independent uh, creator who used to create on, say, Instagram and how that's changed. So it's kind of a broader conversation um, yep. and not dissimilar, I think, no matter what... Um, what role you play in this creator economy. I'm often asked, does my business need a podcast? My answer is yes. 
that nothing else is the fast track into thought leadership and being established and seen as the expert in your industry as podcasting. What's increasingly evident is that it's a branding machine. It kicks doors open for you to have conversations with leaders. It creates a pathway to partnerships and connections on a deeper level. You will not be your industry's best kept secret. Your ideas and business will have global reach. So step into your power. Go to hollyshannon.com to launch your podcast now. And now back to our interview. What I'd love to touch on is, you know, as I launch this new show, uh, which does dig into innovation, builders, creators, the gig economy, um, I have always looked at podcasting as such an essential tool for um for any business, you know, my mm-hmm. motto is your business is your brand, your brand is your business. So, mm-hmm. you know, my theory is why not have a global voice? Um, so mm-hmm. that is essentially what you do with building podcasts as well. It's essentially what Libsyn does is it pr- it's a podcast host. So you as Rob Greenlee, uh, you know, what is what is your feeling on all of this. I, I I know that this is like a larger question that I'm asking, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, we want to support this growing gig economy and I'd love to understand from you um what you see happening cuz you have your finger on the pulse of trends and also um what kind of tools people can use. Like why why would they want to have a podcast? Like can you speak to that? Yeah, I think it's a it's a really um, it's a really important question because as people think about um, what they're doing um, with their online content creation that they're doing to help support whatever um, endeavor that they're trying to pursue, whether it's starting a, a new company or trying to build a consulting business or just build your personal brand. Let's say you're an author, you're a public speaker. There's there's a lot of different uh, um, pathways that people come into the podcasting medium and how they can take advantage of this, this content creation and distribution, um, platform that, that, that exists. It's really unlike anything that's ever existed and even currently exists. There's, there, there's not a lot like it. I, I think that the most recent, um, um, kind of change has been around the social audio platforms, you know, like a clubhouse and, and you know, around live audio, I've always been highly involved in in creating programs around live. Um, so it's always been kind of a part of my my experience base and part of my background coming out of doing radio and and then also doing a lot of live streaming stuff o- over the years on video and audio. Um, but I've always I've always been really strong on the on the pre-recorded side too. So I played in both areas. And I do see that uh, that things are the opportunities there um, are changing, but yet, it, but in a lot of ways, podcasting today is not that much different than podcasting was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, really, the core principles are primarily the, the same. I, I think that the expectations are a little higher around content quality and um, and a, a show's focus on delivering value to its audience. And those are principles that sometimes 
a new person really don't totally understand how to, to, to kind of filter that down into a strategy around a podcast. So there is an increasing need to, to uh, especially with new creators, um, to filter their objectives into, into what a podcast might look like that can benefit them. And then as, as we've talked about too, Holly, in the past too, around the, the growing need for promotion and, and marketing around a podcast. Um, most podcasters have started a podcast and they've just done everything themselves. Uh, but more and more we're seeing um, new podcasters and existing podcasters start to outsource things, you know, whether it's a virtual assistant or whether it's somebody that helps with editing, somebody that helps with social media, it's just, it's, it, it's becoming less and less tenable for a podcaster to do it all. Um, but that also, you know, sets up an expectation for revenue to be able to pay for these people to help you too. So, you know, my fear is that the, the elevation of expectation of podcasting is going to um, take us more down this path of uh, more professional content creators and, and which isn't necessarily all bad. Um, but I do think that there's a culture tension there that, that exists around, you know, especially as you look at like my background um, coming out of being a content creator and continuing to do shows while I'm working a professional career, helping others do, do the same thing. It's, it's, it's somewhat of a dying um, thing. I mean, I do a, podcast every week with uh, my co-host for the new media show, which you can see on the wall behind me. Um, and, and he's a competitor of mine. So he's the CEO. His name is Todd Cochran. He does, he's the CEO of um, the Blueberry podcasting platform, which is a competitor to Lipson. But I've been doing that show every week for 90 minutes live uh, for over 10 years. And i I got to know Todd and started doing that show before we were ever competitors. I was working for, for Microsoft back then. So there are aspects of what I do in this medium that are unique because of my duration in this, this medium and how I tend to, to, to work with people that I, I have a lot of respect for and they've been around a long time and we kind of have a common kind of experience base. Um, but I'm also pressured and challenged to, to on a regular basis, to think outside of my my little box that I tend to live in around the culture of podcasting and start to think, well, maybe there is something innovative and new that's coming to podcasting that I need to be accepting of. And, and this commercialism is one thing that I've, I've definitely been pressured over the last, I would say the last six to seven years to embrace more is the commercialism of podcasting, but at the same time, navigate that commercialism in a way that's is fairly uh, more aligned with the, the history and the culture of the medium. And that's sometimes a, a challenging line to walk. It's interesting what you said about your relationship with Tom Cochran. And again, you're sort of, um, walking into trends and conversations that I think a lot of people are having in the new economy that has emerged. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I speak of uh, is collaboration over competition. Yep. Yep. Uh, and so you were doing it before people started putting it, um, you know, creating a pretty uh, little picture in Canva that says it and posting it on Instagram, you were already doing it. 
Uh, mm -hmm. So I think that's very interesting. And I actually love that if you look at that in an organic way, that type of partnership where you are in different companies means you're exposed to, um, while you might be in your own individual boxes and how your companies do things, mm -hmm. coming together, I have to believe there's times where his experience or the people he's talking to outside um, are different from yours. And it mm -hmm. probably makes for some robust conversation for your it audience does. because yeah. of that. And it's mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is going to be uh, really important for freelancers, entrepreneurs, founders, mm -hmm. startups is to partner and make yourself bigger and make your conversation mm -hmm. more robust and make your relationships uh, deeper right. uh, by doing that. I think it's something that's been done a long time and we're still kind of talking about it. Um, mm -hmm. And it's definitely something that I feel really complements the direction mm -hmm. that a lot of people are going. So it's interesting you were already doing it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's fundamentally, at the end of the day, my background is in marketing and sales. So if I go back to my early uh, career, um, I worked as a, like a national sales representative. I, I, I used to call on retailers like Costco and, and Safeway and Albertsons and stuff. So I had to work with buyers, right. That was trying to sell meat products or citrus or wh whatever it was. So I had many years to refine the, the process of relationship sales, right. Building trust, building relationships. And that has, that helped, um, teach me how to, to do things, um, in a way that isn't really sales it, but it's more building trust, building relationships and, and then the sales come, right? So it's, it's putting, it's putting yourself out there first and helping others and being a resource. And I mean, cause one of the things that I did, which really taught me a lot uh, was when I was working in the Florida citrus industry back then I was working with some of these big retailers and they were like doing um, uh, what was called category management back then is where they would take like a section of their, their, their refrigerator case. And they had a bunch of different brands and a bunch of different um, uh, companies that were sourcing, let's say different brands of orange juice or something like that that was in the case. And I would come in and volunteer to be the category uh, consultant to them when they're building out their case. But I was working for, I was working for the Florida citrus industry. So I was sitting in a position where I was kind of representing all the brands that were in there or most of the brands that were in there. So I could come in and, and look at a big picture and, and not be able not be biased about a particular brand. See, I think we tend to, um, the, the trap that we're falling into more and more is, is we go in and we only think about what we want, right. Or what, what the, um, and, and not what the best interest of the customer is or the best interest of the, the entity that we're working with first. Um, and I think that's, that's a powerful mental position that I've had in the podcasting space is not. So when I do like a podcast like this, my, my goal is not just to talk about Lipson. My goal is to talk about how podcasters can get better at what they're doing and how they can grow and how they can be successful 
that's my primary goal and to share my experience to help them do that. And if they choose to come to Lipson, that's great because they've built a certain level of trust in me. Um, and it's the same thing with um, marketing my, my podcast, my, my new media show. I don't spend a lot of time talking about it, but I, I, I share my knowledge in hopes that they will reciprocate because they feel like they've got a stronger connection with me as a person and me as a, as a person that shares knowledge with them that they see as valuable. I love how you say that. And it's, it's the way you have built relationships over the yep. past decades. Um, again, um, I can see a lot of people who post on different sites, whether it be mm -hmm. LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook, and they go to Canva and they create, you know, this pretty little photo that says no like and trust factor and, t and talk about it from a place of, um, that, that they understand what that all means. But if you mm -hmm. really have not spent the time to build relationships, you're probably missing that last element, the trust factor a little bit. And mm -hmm. it takes time. I think um, a lot of people want to follow that methodology uh, so that they can grow. Uh, and, and I think they they do the no part and the like they get to the like part and they think mm -hmm. that because they're liked they're trusted and it's probably not not enough i think you have to really spend time mm -hmm. with people uh and and you've learned how to do that through sales which uh is is probably the the crown the crowning jewel of uh, learning yeah, trust it's, <laughs> it's 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 not something that happens um quickly uh, or, or easily. And, and it just takes consistent effort and thinking, thinking about the other person, um, more than you probably think about yourself. Um, it, it, and you put them first because I mean, you know, back in the days when, when I was working with buyers at Costco or whatever, I, I would walk in there thinking them first, cause that's the only way I was going to get the sale mm -hmm. is, is if I help them to be successful. Yeah, I think you have to come in with a different pair of glasses into the right. room and pretend like you're, you know, really like look from their vantage point mm -hmm. to understand uh, what questions they might have, what fears they might have. Um, but it's really interesting that it's, it sounds like it's been a mainstay of your career from mm -hmm. all the different iterations of... <laughs> of marketing, sales, internet, tech, right. all the different things you've done. Uh, so that's, that's really cool. And playing at the cutting edge of things uh, um, has an edge on both sides. It cuts both ways on me. I mean, if I think about my, my past of what I've worked with, let's say the Florida citrus industry, when I built the first Florida citrus website, um, at floridajuice.com back in those days, I went and registered the domain name and had the, the website built. And that was before, um, the Florida citrus industry had any websites at all. Um, so it was one of those things, you know, I kind of scared the, the, the gajeevers out of my, my boss at one point, because this thing, he didn't really understand what I was doing. <laughs> And when it got to a certain level, it was like, uh, oh my God, you know, because they had their own marketing team in Florida, right. That was doing national marketing. Uh, and I was just this field rep out in the, 
out in Seattle and here I was doing stuff online and they were starting to see it have an impact on the industry and the industry started to notice what I was doing out in Seattle. And it was like, um, they felt a little bit kind of like behind the times to some degree. And I think it scared them a little bit because I remember my, my executive director was, was, um, you know, I think he called, called me and, and, and set up a couple of emergency um, calls with me to figure out what the heck is going on out there. You know, I'm giving away sailboats off of the web back in, back in the late nineties. And it's like, they didn't even do that kind of stuff. And I think there was a certain uh, amount of people back in those late nineties timeframe, um, people at companies, uh, larger companies that were playing around with the internet that really to some degree kind of terrorized their, their, their companies at the time, because the, those, the people um, at the companies didn't really understand what was happening with the growth and development of the web and the internet and how impactful it was going to be. Yeah, that was definitely uh, like finding a new country. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it it like, was... wow, what is going on back there? Right. It's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's really interesting. I, uh, any, you know, as we come to a close on this, I, I'm not sure, you know, because you've been in it for so long, uh, I I'd like to share with people that podcasting is growing uh, and that there is a place mm-hmm. for people to have their voice there. Uh, yeah. I, but I think most people are attracted to numbers and not just uh, Holly Shannon saying it's a really great place to be or Rob Greenlee saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you are somebody who is privy to a lot of really important statistics that mm-hmm. um, help us thrive and understand the viability of content creation and podcasting. So maybe you can yeah. share. Yeah, I have a couple of um, thoughts on on that. Definitely, um, I think the the first and most important thing about any of that is is I, I think it's very important to be a multimedium content creator now, um, whether it be video, audio, written. Uh, I, I think to be successful, I think you have to play in all those areas and and build um, content that is on YouTube and it's just out there in all the different ways that people like to find content. Now, if you think about YouTube, YouTube is like the, the, the second most popular search engine, right? So people are looking for content, typically look on YouTube. So having a presence over there, I think is important. Um, and I think just thinking more broadly about your content creation and your content marketing uh, and bundling it together um, with how people like to consume content. Some people like to read, some people like to watch, and some people like to listen. So you being able to, to do all that um, takes a lot of work, but yet it's from what I've seen in the history of even, even the podcast that I do, uh, it's, it, it, it's the way to grow a, a large and robust audience over a period of time. And it takes consistent effort. Um, and I do think that quality is is important. Um, so get a good webcam, get a good microphone. You don't have to break the bank to, to get quality these days, but, but I do think it's important, um, to, to, you know, give a good listening and viewing experience, um, to whatever that you're doing out there. So it's, it's, it's really, really, um, important now because there are a, a lot more content creators, um, but the, the other end of the spectrum is that I think that there's a perception that there is too many content creators out there, but the reality is, 
And um, it's almost like a little bit of a distortion field that's been created around people's perception of how crowded podcasting is. Um, if you look at the actual number of shows um, that are active in the podcasting space versus how many shows have been created um, all time, right? So if you look at the numbers more broadly, there, there's been over 4 million podcasts that have been created in 17 years. And some of them still exist, some of them don't. But I mean, there's been a drop off and Apple is deleting shows all the time. Um, but if you look at the active shows, ones that are producing a new episode every week, uh, the number's like two or 300,000 globally. So, so that's a big difference from 4 million to two or 300,000. Um, so, you know, I think that the opportunity is still there for content creators that want to create consistent, regular quality content, especially that's multimedium and its um, abilities. There's still opportunity out there to, to grow a business, to grow a, um, a fan base with the show, especially if you think of, you know, about creating your podcast in a unique way uh, and the content's unique and how you approach it is unique. I think there's still a huge opportunity out there. And so don't be discouraged. <laughs> no, I love that. I, I'm going to actually end on that note because I think yep. it's uh, really important numbers to know um, and really encouraging regardless of the type of content you are creating for your business. And let's face it, like every business has to create content in some way, mm -hmm. shape or form. I don't yep. know of any business, whether you are a nursing home, a restaurant, a podcast, a photographer, it doesn't matter what business you're in, you mm -hmm. have posted something on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, mm -hmm. iTunes, Spotify, you've been on those mediums, right? So oh, yeah. I, think, I think it's really uh, very encouraging I thank you, Rob, so much for that and, and for coming on Culture Factor. Well, thank you. It was great to be on your show, Holly. I appreciate it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And where can everybody find Rob Greenley? Oh, um, I, I have my own website, robgreenley.com. Uh, you can reach me in email. Um, I'm, um, I can be reached at Lipson, uh, robg at lipson.com, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. And I also have my own personal email too, rob.greenley, G-R-E-E-N-L-E-E -E -E, at gmail.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Rob Greenley, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all of them. So you can find me on there. And I'm, I'm certainly easy to be found in Google. Just type my name. Excellent. Thanks so much. And uh, for anybody who's on Clubhouse, we also have some great conversations there. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe we'll even catch you there. And uh, when I when this airs, maybe we could even get a little Q&A on there if people yeah. want to take a deeper dive with you. Do you like yeah, how I set awesome. that up? I here? know I do. I, I, I like that. I know I'm also playing around now a little bit more with Fireside as well, which is a new new podcast creation platform. So yeah. Yes, I'm I'm officially on there too, but I have not played yet. So You haven't uh, played yet. Yeah, I've only done one one thing on there. But So that'll be interesting. So maybe you all mm -hmm. find us in one of those two places, but reach out. You yep. can email Rob or myself, um, follow the show, and we'll uh, let you know when we're doing something together. And, and you can come chat with Rob because he's the best. Thank uh, well, you. Well, thank you, Holly. Appreciate it. <laughs>